Welcome to the Round Rock Church of Christ Teaching Podcast. We're a faith community located in the central Austin area that gathers at 8.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We hope this teaching blesses you as we become spirit-filled and spirit-led Jesus followers for those who do not have a home. Today's scripture, Philippians 1, 9-11. And this is my prayer that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full insight to help you determine what really matters, so that in the day of Christ you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit, come, come and do Last week, we began a new series uh, about making decisions, and we called this series Decide. And before I get into the second week of this series, um, I just want to take a moment to thank you as a church. Uh, Last week, we kind of talked about how we feel like we're on this journey of uh, leaning deeper into being a spirit-filled and spirit-led people for those who don't have a home. And one of the ways we've been doing this is uh, we're preparing to launch two cohorts this spring of a group called Alpha. Alpha is just a setting for people who maybe they have uh, doubts about God, maybe they've been disenchanted with God, uh, or maybe they need a place just to process. And we asked if you would prayerfully consider and decide Uh, helping, whether that's financially to help sponsor people or uh, to actually serve with setup or making a meal or anything like this. And uh, I'd just like to thank you as a church because within one week of this ask, we're already halfway over the goals that we need um, with this. And it's really exciting. And I just want to thank you for making that decision. Uh, I also want to just say as we keep moving towards February, one way that you can be partnering with us to be a home for those who are not at home with God, is can you start praying and asking the Lord if there's anyone in your life who Alpha would be a great invitation for them? Now, in the weeks to come, we'll talk about what does it look like to actually invite someone to Alpha, and we'll make sure you know the details, but I want to invite you to go ahead and start praying and possibly discerning if there's someone who you could 
invite to this. Now, when I talk about inviting someone, uh, especially when it comes to something that may be faith-based, you may hear that and you're like, my goodness, that is extremely intimidating uh, to do. And I completely get that because I feel that intimidation. And if you're like, I don't even know where to start with that decision, I've got some good news. That's why we are in a series about making decisions. Last week, I talked about how I wanted us to start for the first couple weeks of the new year of uh, spending some time thinking about how do we, as the people of God, make decisions. Maybe a more clear way of saying this is how do spirit-filled and spirit-led people make decisions? Because people decide things all the time, every year, but the people of God discern things before they make decisions. And today I want to briefly unpack that word. If you hear the word discern and you're like, I, I'm not exactly sure what that word means or implies. I want to just briefly unpack what it means today. And then in the next couple of messages, I'll kind of talk about what this looks like more. There is a prayer, which you just heard read today that actually uses this word discern. Uh, Paul, as a follower of Jesus, writes in the book that we call Philippians, a prayer at the very beginning of his letter that he's writing to this group of Jesus followers. And if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would encourage you to turn to our text. It's going to be in Philippians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you or exploring faith, uh, also know that we'll have the words that are up on the screen this morning. But here is where Paul prays for discernment. Philippians 1 verse 9. And this is my prayer, that your love may overflow more and more with knowledge and full of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best. Now, the first question we may ask is, uh, who is Paul writing this and praying this over. And Paul is most likely writing to a group, a small group of believers in Philippi. We can actually read about them in Acts 16. They're actually one of the first hearers of the gospel in Europe. And Paul came into a region that was full of knowledge and insight. And he came with a message. A message that said, there is someone who has something that no one else can give in this world. And that someone is Jesus Christ. Not only did he contain the knowledge of God, but his life gave us insight to the invisible God. Paul comes carrying the message of Jesus Christ. And that message that Jesus had is that God does not despise the world. He loves it. That Jesus Christ has the power to reverse the decay that was around him and defeat the inevitable death that was ahead of him. And to top it off, when Jesus came into the world, he proclaimed that the process of heaven coming to earth was already beginning in his name. And those in Philippi, they asked, well, you know, how do we know that this is true? 
And how did he actually do that? And Paul preached that Jesus Christ was willingly and innocently crucified on the cross. But three days later, God raised him to life. And not only did he raise him to life, but he ascended to be in glory with the Father and promised that he would return. And I hope for anyone who's sitting in this room this morning, what Paul shares with the believers in Philippi, Jesus also shares to you. I hope you hear that God does not despise you. God loves you. God has the power in Jesus Christ to reverse the decay that you see all around you. And Jesus Christ can save you and hold you in the inevitable death that is to come before you. And the good news of Jesus is that you don't have to live life wondering what heaven is like. Jesus actually offers and says, you can start experiencing heaven on earth now. You can see glimpses of this reality to come. Have you trusted the name of Jesus with that reality? For those in Philippi, they did trust the name of Jesus. I want you to notice that as Paul is writing to people who trust the name of Jesus, that they proclaim the knowledge and the insight that is through him, one of the things that Paul prays for is out of love, may there overflow more knowledge and full of insight. And this is a great word for all of us who do trust the name of Jesus. This is a word for all of us that no one graduates from needing more of the love and knowledge and insight of Jesus Christ. In other words, we're new creations when we trust Jesus. We are not finished creations. That when we say yes to Jesus, one of our prayers, one of our requests before the Lord is that we want to be people who actually share in the mind of Christ. We want to be minds that are discerning. One place that this is seen in scripture, you've maybe heard this verse before, is Romans 12. And, you know, we usually uh, hear it for, uh, you know, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. What we don't pay attention to is verse 2 that says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To what? Then you'll be able to test and discern. Discern what God's will is. His good and pleasing and perfect will. One of the prayers of God's people is to continue the knowledge and insight that Jesus can provide. And the reason he gives this he actually says on the latter half of verse 10. To ask for more knowledge and insight to help you discern what really matters so that in the day of Christ, you may be pure and blameless. That he continues to give knowledge and insight to help you discern. 
Now, one question you may wonder about your life that maybe they wondered in Philippi a little bit was, so why is he got to give us knowledge and insight to help us discern what's best? Why can't he just not help us, but actually tell us what he wants us to do? And when you look through the library of scripture, there are moments where God comes to God's people and actually tells people what God desires. But also there's plenty of moments where God sets decisions before people. And maybe one of the reasons God does this is because it helps us understand God's nature that God is relational, not transactional. That God's desire for your relationship with him is not to just treat him as a cosmic vending machine, asking him for answers of what to do or what to decide and then to move on. But that the Lord actually desires in the midst of your decisions to draw you close. One of the graces of making decisions is it creates an opportunity for you to make room in your heart for God. Because every decision we make has the option of we can be self-reliant or we can be God-reliant. Self-reliance is when we're making decisions on our own and we basically lean on our own human wisdom. And wisdom is a gift from God. But there's also a godly reliance where we take all of our human wisdom and we put it in front of God to actually discern it and ask what is God's will because people decide things all the time but God makes available to God's people the ability to discern before making decisions maybe one way to think about it is I have a t-chart for you here of uh, when uh, people kind of line up to think about, all right, I've got a decision in life. Maybe it's weighty. Maybe it's smaller. There are a couple things that we tend to do when we're making a decision. One of them is uh, we just ask ourselves, how do I feel about the decision that's in front of me? Or maybe how do I feel about the two outcomes that are on the sides of this decision? How do I feel with it? Maybe another way that people discern is they create a pros and cons list. I don't know if you've ever been in this situation where you just grab a piece of paper and you're like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to write down the pros. I'm going to write down the cons. I'm going to see which one has more of them. Maybe I'm going to let that weigh it out and I will make a decision based on that. A third way people make decisions is by uh, randomizing uh, where someone's just kind of waiting for a moment where like the decision's going to kind of drop in front of you you know some people are like you know if it if it freezes tomorrow that's got to be a sign from the lord that like i need to make this decision in my life um there's a preacher joke that i really appreciate that uh um even christians do this all the time there's a joke that kind of goes like this that uh there was uh, a family that was in a dire situation and uh the family calls together all the kids and the dad and the mom they all sit down and they go, okay, we're going to open up our Bible and uh, we're going to do whatever the Lord tells us to do through whatever scripture when we just kind of put our finger down. And uh, the father opens the Bible. He turns, puts his finger down. It's Deuteronomy 28, 53. And it kind of reads like this. Uh, because of your dire ways, the enemy will besiege you 
and you will end up eating your children. And the kids are mortified. And the wife grabs the Bible and is like, give me that. You didn't turn to the right place. So she turns to the back half of the Bible, puts her finger on Luke 10, and it says, Jesus said to her, you will do likewise. That is terrifying. We randomize. We're just waiting for something to hit us that maybe we make the decision there. And then the final one is we ask around. We just kind of go around. We just kind of... We kind of verbally puke on people. We're like, here's what I'm trying to work through right now. And uh, here's all the things I'm thinking about. And what do you think I need to do about this decision? And I don't want to discredit any of these. Maybe I want to discredit the randomizing a little bit. But I don't want to discredit any of these ways that we go about it. Because there is wisdom to going about decisions in these ways. What I want to point out to us, though, is it's limited. It's limited because it's human wisdom that it's limited in practice because it only views from the sight of people but discernment discernment is the process of seeking and seeing god's wisdom in uh the scriptures the word discern doesn't just pop up in one place but actually pops up in several places throughout the scriptures. In the weeks to come, I'll highlight some of these. But you see this word, it pops up in Proverbs all the time. You'll see this word used in letters like 1 Corinthians and, and Romans uh, that I just read a minute ago. And this word at bottom like shelf, what it means is it means to separate or distinguish. Discernment is inviting God into our decision-making process. To help us distinguish or separate what God may desire of the decision that is in front of us. And when we talk about discerning with God, one of the ways Christians speak about God is one essence, three persons. And one of the requests of Jesus when he is ascending is that we are not left alone, but Jesus' spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit, who is the third person of God, the empowering presence of God, helps guide us. And the Spirit wears several hats in facilitating our life with God. But one of them is that the Spirit actually helps us identify, seek the truth of God. Here's one of the instances where Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. He says, for what humans know is truly human, except the human spirit that is within. So also no one comprehends what is truly God's except the spirit of God. Now we've received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit that is from God, so that we may understand the gifts bestowed on us by God. To translate, it is the Holy Spirit who comprehends the deep things of God. And it is the Holy Spirit who helps us understand the values of God and the desire of God. And the practice of discernment is one where we invite the Holy Spirit to help us sort out what are our wishes and help us cultivate a life of willingness to be able to see God's will and desire God's will, and to be able to actually go 
about it. I want to look back at this T-chart for a moment. I want you to think about maybe the last decision you made in your life. And just ask yourself, what were the moments that contributed to this decision? Because when we discern before we decide, we don't only just ask, how do we feel about a decision? We actually take time to listen to God. And we also take time to listen to our hearts. You know, I grew up in a household where emotions were completely disregarded, and I've been trying to do soul work ever since to make sure I don't pendulum swing that, but also bring it to the center. And one of the things I've learned in my transformation of that is that our emotions are not the final word whatsoever, but often it feels like God uses our emotions to create a window, an opportunity for us to know how God wants to heal us, transform us, or mature us. When we discern and not just decide, we actually weigh the pros and cons. One of the things we don't talk about pro and con lists is that just because you can list a lot of pros or list a lot of cons, doesn't mean all those pros and cons are evenly weighted. Some bullet points are more weightier than others. And this is where we need the mind of Christ to step in and to help us weigh this. When we discern before we decide, we actually empty ourselves. Because if we're honest with ourselves, we don't always see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. And finally, when we discern, we actually take time to ask God, what does God desire? And how does the decision before me show his preferred future that is to come? One of the ways I think about this is uh, in, you know, in Exodus, when uh, Moses is leading the people out of slavery. If Moses at one point just took inventory of God's people and was just like, how are you guys feeling about this whole like journey and out of Egypt? The people several times would have been like, Mm-mm, let's go back whatsoever. But Moses also asked, what is God's desire? And what is God's will with it? That God's people, when they're discerning, also think about the future that is to come. That's part of God's story. And this is how Paul lifts the people's eyes in prayer. He says, to help you discern what really matters so that in the day of Christ, when Jesus returns, you may be pure and blameless, having produced the harvest of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ for the glory and praise of God. Now I want us to see very closely that when Paul prays about preparing for the future, one of the things his attention is on is preparing for how Jesus returns. Paul doesn't pray for a plethora of accomplishments or amazing outcomes. What he actually prays for is the attributes of Christ to be in them all. That God has his look not just on what outcomes are happening, but actually on what do our decisions form in us. It's interesting that, you know, as we start our life with God, we may start out by uh, saying to God, you know, hey God, here's what I want to do. Can you bless this? 
then as we mature and as we progress, maybe we move to asking questions of what does God desire and what does God hope for us to do? But a discerning heart also begins to ask the question, God, how are you shaping me? And how do you want to shape me? Not just what do you want me to do? What decision before me helps me become what you declare me in Christ? In other words, there is a thinking of in our decisions, what kind of people does this form us to be when we make these decisions? It's one of the reasons in Galatians, did you notice that when Paul talks about Christ working through the people, he doesn't list a bunch of accomplishments, but he actually lists fruits of the Spirit. That they show all these different things in them. And there's a lot of ways we can choose for God to form things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control in us. So when God's people discern, they ask the question, of in light of the future of Jesus' return, how can I start becoming what God already declares over me? Maybe an illustration would uh, be helpful for um, the end of this, to maybe to drive this point home. Um, I, uh, when I moved out of my uh, house to move on to college, my family continued to uh, host a youth group every single week when I was growing up. Uh, and that's not because they love students. They just want to make sure they were continuing to serve the Lord in the local church. And they made that very clear several times. Uh, but uh, even though it was a stretch for them, uh, there was one student who would always come to those Sunday night gatherings. And his name was Jonathan. And Jonathan, he did not click socially with all the other kids whatsoever. My dad had a hard time. It was like pulling teeth to talk to Jonathan. But the one thing he could get Jonathan to talk about was theater. My dad, who, uh, you know, is in a trade where you don't talk about theater or drama very often, uh, had a very limited knowledge of the arts. But he did have one story, one performance that he could talk to Jonathan about every single day. And that would be the story that he believes is above every other story, which is the story that is Camelot. Jonathan had never heard of Camelot. My father said, you haven't heard of Camelot? He gave him a, I know, he gave him like VCR tape. I know, crazy. Gave him a tape and he said, you must watch this tonight. You have to. It's one of the greatest stories that's ever been. Jonathan goes home, watches Camelot. Comes back the next week and says, I stayed up till 4 a.m. because I watched a story over and over and over again. And I believe it's the greatest story out there. For months and years afterwards, Jonathan and my dad over and over would quote Camelot to each other. They would make references about the story. And then as a thank you gift, when Jonathan graduated, he bought my father tickets to a play as a thank you for being in his life. And what was the show? Camelot. So my father sitting on the front row of the show, Camelot, with deep gratitude. And then all of a sudden, Lancelot takes the stage. And Lancelot is Jonathan. 
and he's performing. He's acting. He's quoting the things that they talked about forever and forever. Can I draw the parallel? That is God's desire for you. That he has told you the story in Jesus Christ. He desires for you to live. There's a number of different characters and ways you can show the character of God. And maybe God's not always concerned about which role you play as much as he's concerned about you joining his story and living out and forming it. Because when we live God's story, it shows people a glimpse of the glory that is to come. I've heard it said by people often, the story you live in is the story that you will live out. I wonder if sometimes our decisions reveal what story we are living in. Is it a story of scarcity? Is it a story of control? Is it a story where we don't trust anyone but ourselves? Or is it the story of Jesus Christ who says that God created such a great world and that he promises to heal it and to bring his kingdom and he desires for all people to be connected and to dwell with him. And every small decision, big decision you make can glorify this God and point to it, which is why living a small story that's all concerned about a retirement account or making sure no one's upset with you is not a story that glorifies God. To glorify God means you don't play it small. You don't want to live a life that's just like, you know, I'm just trying to live it normally. Make sure we take care of everything financially. Make sure we get the kids on track. All good things. But what Jesus wants for your life, I'm going to release this in the room. What Jesus wants for your life is he wants a plethora, a harvest of righteousness that comes through your life. He wants your obedience in the world, not because you're trying to like force God's love, but you want to show the world how devoted you are to God. In other words, God wants your decisions. He wants his future in mind. He doesn't want you living with just your end goals in mind. And you can make decisions with him in mind because you know what? When Jesus walked across this earth, he made decisions with you in mind. There were plenty of people, I'm sure, that told Jesus Christ, you know, there's different ways you could probably do it. I know you're talking about this whole death three days thing. There's, there's probably other ways you can do this. And Jesus before the Father says, not my will, but your will be done. It costs him everything, but he does it because he knows of the glory that is to come. Are we making decisions based on God's story or just our story? And if you're like, that sounds really eloquent, what does that mean? I'll leave you with just this question. When's the last time your allegiance to God's story cost you something? When has it cost you that you've said yes to living in this story?
Because the good news is that Jesus did for us what we could not do for ourselves. And now the word for us to hear today is that the Holy Spirit will help us do what we cannot do by ourselves, which is make decisions that glorify God's kingdom. Come. So Lord, we lift to you maybe our decisions that we've made in the past, that maybe we've made without you or we've brought you, haven't brought you into. Uh, we just recognize and we confess those decisions when we make them. And Lord, we also lift to you just kind of the decisions that are in our hearts for this year coming up. And Spirit, we pray, can you help us discern and know your kingdom and your desires? Help us to be able to see your work around us. And help us to be able to see how we're reflecting the future that is to come. Strengthen us, Lord, in these decisions. Help us. Give us the gift of discernment. It's in your name we pray.